we're going to, it is Christmas time. It is, um, we've been talking about uh, some things with Satan and his wisdom plan. And we looked last week at Psalms there and the DNA and the DNA project. And we were beginning to look at some different things. And I, I just wanted, I know it's Christmas time and, and I know, you know we're kind of thinking about that with family and friends and everything. And I, I just wanted to kind of touch on something I mentioned last week and just kind of do something a little different this morning. And then we'll finish up the stuff about Satan next time. And then we'll, next year we've got some things that I want to talk about with us and so forth. And when we talked about last week about the DNA and what Satan missed and the inner man and the soul of, the, of man and the things that when you and I get saved, when, when you and I come to Calvary and we trust that Christ uh, died and was raised again for our sins and we, we place our faith in that, he then comes and, and, and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit begin to work in your inner man and they begin to do some things. In Colossians, it's called the operation of God. And he begins to operate and he begins to, he comes in and he begins to do some things with your inner man. You're in Philippians, right? We ain't going to stay there very long. Come over to chapter 2 of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 2. <coughs> Ephesians chapter number 2, when, when that begins to happen, we have that little acronym, CRIBS, where the Spirit begins, He comes in and He circumcises you, and He regenerates you, and He indwells you, and He baptizes you, and He seals you, and He begins to do some work. The Father does some work, the Son does some work, and things begin to, to work into your inner man. Ephesians 2 verse number 1, and you hath He quickened who were dead and trespasses and sins he comes in and he takes that old your soul your who you are you and he makes it alive to him he comes in and he begins to work and he begins to do some things in you and he begins to write into your spiritual dna some information and some things and he does it chapter one of ephesians and verse number three <coughs> Ephesians 1 and verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, the Father does this, who hath what? Blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And then he begins to go through a list of them, so much so that when you come over to Colossians 2 and verse number 10, I know it's Sunday morning, I know it's before church, I know it's just church, let's get on the ball and let's roll. We'll get you warmed up here this morning, and I'll do it. The I'll try to hold you to 40 minutes. I'm not promising you, but uh, if you were here the first hour, I read you the article about the Pew Research, and the standard sermon time was about 37 minutes. They didn't ask me. They didn't research me. Okay, so Colossians 2. If you look at verse number 9 and verse number 10, for in Him, that's Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. How? bodily. If you want to see the Godhead bodily in a physical, tangible terms, you're going to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. There he is. The Lord Jesus Christ is described in Song of Solomon and in other places in, in Scripture as not a beautiful person. As, a very comely, very homey looking. He was a Jew. He had dark hair as a raven. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't superstar, Jesus Christ superstar. Okay, He wasn't the, the blonde-headed guy you see in the paintings and all this stuff. He wasn't that. Isaiah says we, they tripped over him because of his comeliness. They ignored him because he wasn't Superman. 
But he wasn't coming to be Superman. <laughs> he was coming to be their savior. He was coming in his first coming in meek and lowly. We're going to, you know, everybody in the world celebrates the birth of Christ this week. We know differently. We understand this wasn't when he was born. He was born in late October, late September, early October, however you want to count it out there. But this time of the year, late December here, is when the conception happened. We've studied Luke 1, and we've looked at that, and we've been through those scriptures with you. By the way, on our YouTube channel, the dating of the birth of Christ is our biggest watched video, the 35-minute one. It's something like 50,000 views or something like that, you know, because people are interested in it. And it's an old one because it's got the old whiteboard and stuff, so it's one we just did and, and everything. But when that happened, Godhead bodily showed up. Now watch verse 10. And ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. The moment you trusted Christ and God goes to work in your inner man, the Godhead. Flip back, if you will, with me to Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. When he goes to work, he blesses you with all spiritual blessings. He takes your DNA, your spiritual DNA of your soul, and he writes those blessings in. He comes in and he, he manipulates it, and he makes this new creature pop up the new man and then he and by the way he makes you complete we're complete in the head of all things <laughs> we're not complete in, in in some joe schmo over here we're complete in the risen ascended lord jesus christ his full title that's where we're complete in ephesians chapter 4 you start there in in verse 1 i therefore the prisoner of the lord beseech you that you should walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. We have a job to do, our ambassadorship, he calls it in, in 2 Corinthians, and we got things to do. Verse 4, there is one body. Here's the verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So the Spirit, Ephesians 1.13, the Father takes the Spirit and seals you. The Father himself indwells you. And in chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 16, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to live and dwell within you as well. So you've got the Godhead living inside of you. All of that is a spiritual transaction. And when that happens, Satan just sits there and goes, Huh? What was that? He doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it. Now come back to Philippians 1 finally. <clears throat> and when we think about that, and we think about this time of year, and we think about all of that we've been talking about, there's just something wonderful in the book of Philippians here. The whole of Philippians, you can, you can outline it out a bunch of different ways, quite honestly. But when you come into Philippians and you begin to look at it. Philippians gives us a series of examples of what abounding in love looks like. That mental attitude of charity. Chapter 1, verse number 9, he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense, 
till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and the praise of God. So as Philippians, and we're not going to look at the whole of Philippians today, <laughs> that's not my goal, but as Philippians begins to lay out these examples of, of abounding love, that, that mental attitude of thinking and evaluating and thinking about people and esteeming things the way God thinks about it and the way God esteems it and the way that God would, 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 would uh, look at the situation... It's interesting in verse number 11, he says that we're being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. So in Philippians, Jesus Christ is the center figure in all four chapters. Chapter 1, verse number 21. Notice what Paul says. He says, for to me. So for Paul, to live is what? Is Christ. Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that interesting? And yeah, finish the verse because the, the dying part is gain. <laughs> okay? For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The focus. Christ is our life. That, it's the focus right now in time is Him. Come over to chapter 2 and look at verse number 5. <coughs> 2-5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ, he is our mind. He's our thinking process. He's the, he, he's the original grace thinker. And that issue of thinking, by the way, if you look at verse 6, 7, and 8, he wasn't considering himself at all. He was thinking about doing the plan and the will of the Father and, and obeying the word of the Father and coming and doing what someone else needed him to do. And that, that mindset, the thinkingness there, the thinking process. Come over to chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse number 10. So he's our life, he's our mind. 3.10, he's our goal. He, he, here's the goal. Here should be your goal as a believer. 3 verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Folks, you and I, we ought to look to know him. And our goal as a believer and our identity in Christ, and, and as we live and we think about it and we look at things, we ought to know. Boy, could you, can you understand? Verse 10 is so loaded. <laughs> it is so powerful. To know him. Paul says, man, after 35 years of working and doing, you know what? I counted everything but loss, and I just want to know him even more and more. Sidlow Baxter, in his little book, Through the Bible, at this point in Philippians, says he's had a 35 years, Paul has lived 35 years of a Christ-intoxicated life, and yet what does he still want to do? I just want to know him even more. I want to be conformable unto his death. I want to... I want a fellowship in his suffering. Man, when he went and suffered at Calvary, he went and suffered for you and I. He paid that sin penalty, not because he didn't need to, but because he had to, so he could be the Redeemer. Chapter 4, verse 13. So you have Christ our life, Christ our mind, 
Christ is our goal. And in chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. He's our power. He's our strength. He's our all, folks. And as we come back to chapter 1, I just want to look at this first one this morning with you. We'll spend some time down the road look at the other ones. Because of Christmas and everybody's thinking about baby Jesus and all this stuff, you know, and they get all into commercialism and, you know, and everything. And that's fine. You do what your family does. It's okay. Wonderful thing about freedom and liberty and grace is that we're able to do that. But when you look at verse number, chapter 1, verse 21, Christ our life. And you think, in, in thinking about what we've been talking about over the weeks of Satan and the DNA and all that, James 1 over there, that engrafted word. And in thinking about that, if you look at verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Every now and then the Apostle Paul has a verse that just kind of sums up the Christian life. Galatians 2.20 is one of them. You know, it hangs on the back wall back there so I can remember to read it. <laughs> but so you can remember to read it as well. By the way, Colossians 2.10 sits on the, above the window. I'm complete in him. 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ. Isn't that wonderful? A summation. That, Galatians 2.20 summarizes Romans 6, 7, and 8 for you in one verse. Chapter 1, verse 21 does the same thing here. It, it, it's, it, it, in one verse, it summarizes what the Christian life is all about. You know, the Christian life is not about going to church to get more blessings. We come to church to do what? Learn. Be instructed. We gather together as believers, and we gather together because we're like-minded, some of us have been in churches where we can fellowship with our friends and our neighbors and everything and just leave, you know, dad always said you screw your head off, leave it in, you better lock it in the glove box and then go to church and then when you get out, you take it on, screw your head back on and you can go, you know, because they don't, that Pew Research said that the average sermon in, in, in evangelical circles today is like 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Not a lot of teaching can get done in 25, I'm just warmed up and we've been going 20 minutes. You know, I'm not even on my notes, by the way, just so you know, okay? See, the thing is, folks, is what do we come together? We come to fellowship. Why? Because that's where the life of Christ is. That's where we're like-minded, and we, we don't agree on every point. We never will. It's okay if you're wrong. That's fine, okay? But the thing is, is we come together because of some likeness, like-mindedness, and thinking about things, and we're involved in that. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Folks, that's our, that's our life. That's what everything's about. Come over with me to Colossians chapter 3. You know, Paul says it this way, Colossians 3, <coughs> verse number 1. Colossians 3, verse 1. Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians are a unit, and Colossians says some things very very eloquently, actually, when you get kind of away from the doctrinal treatise of Ephesians. Ephesians Colossians 3, verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, 
seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Notice Christ is risen. He's our life. That's the premise, what we're talking about. This little baby that was born in a manger, you know, way back, what, 2,000 years ago or whatever. He grew up. He had a normal birth. He had a normal childhood. Except he had a thing that you and I didn't, he didn't have something we had, and that's sin. Okay? He grew, he learned, he did. He did his earthly ministry with the nation of Israel. He went and hung at Calvary's tree. He died, he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. So he was a man, but he was also who? God. Okay? Now he's risen. Then he talks, reaches down, looks at the apostle, or Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, stops his wild career in mid-stride, and says, now i got something new, and we're going to go with the new message now. And by the way, I'm going to be your life. Notice what verse 1 says, if ye then be risen with Christ. And by the way, the if there is not a maybe or maybe not, it's a no kidding, duh, you are. Okay? Seek those things which are what? Where should we be looking? Where should we be seeking? Where should we be, our mindset be pushing towards the things above? Where who? Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. His death, his life, his death, his burial is mine. Verse 2. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Set your affections on things above. Set your affections on things. What is he doing? Affections, things we love, things we think about, what drives us, you know. Set those things on what? On what does he do? You know, I, I think about that a, a, a lot. I like sports. You guys know that. Somebody was asking me in the middle if I'm watching any of the bowl games. I don't. I got too much time to do. I got too much other stuff to do than to, to sit and watch Appalachian beat somebody. You know, I'm like, okay. Now, I will watch Alabama, and I will watch the, other, the, the top four guys a little bit, enough till I know who's going to win, then I move on. But see, those are things that I enjoy, <clears throat> okay? But the reason I don't sit and watch all the other stuff is I've got other stuff to do. It doesn't consume. It, now, it consumes. It does. By the way, the uh, Arizona Coyotes are number one in their, or they were number one in their division. I think they still are. So now the hockey bugs, you know, I'm watching that. And, you know, and that begins to consume. But notice what this verse says. Set your affection on things above. What's going to happen at the, end of, at, at the end of January, after January 1st? Who's going to remember who won what? No, nobody is. Can anyone tell me who was in last year's championship ball game? Any sport, doesn't matter. You don't even remember. I heard a guy say, you know, he asked him, how do you feel about second place? He goes, second place is first loser. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. We win, win, win. You know, he was, okay. But see, the thing is, is what does that verse say? Where should my thinking be? What's moving my life? It, it doesn't exclude watching the games and participating in that, but what's pushing my life? The things above. What is he doing? 
Well, what's he doing today? He's forming the church, the body of Christ, isn't he? He would have all men get saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, folks, when, when we do things in life, how many of you have a job? Come on, raise your hand. I got three or four of them, okay? You have a job because you want to be able to have things, right? You want to be able to eat. You want to be able to have a house and a home and some, and some items. If you've got a wife, 1 Corinthians 7 says you're going to worry about the things of the world more than you're ever going to be able to worry about other things. Why? Because now you've got a responsibility to take care of. So you have a job. Why, why do we have a job? Because Paul said what? Get a job, dude. Get a haircut. I got one. Get a job. Now, when you're doing, it doesn't say what kind of job, does it? So here you are working. I'm a bus driver. We're working. We're doing. We're doing. You know, these stinking kids, they're just getting worse and worse, right? And all this stuff. And you know what? That's the wrong attitude because what does Ephesians 6 tell me to have? What's the right attitude to have? They're still getting worse and worse, you know. But what's the right attitude to have? Hey, I'm doing this because of who I am in Christ. You see, it doesn't say stop doing that. I love Alabama football. You guys know that. I will sit and watch a game. I watched reruns the other night on SEC Nation because there was nothing else on. My wife goes, what are you watching? I go, Alabama's kicking tail here. We're winning, you know. And she's like, Rick, that was three years ago. I go, it doesn't matter. We're winning, you know. But that doesn't drive life. What drives life is who I am in Christ. You see, you can have all of that, it's fine, but set your affections. What's driving you? What doesn't drive me is watching old Alabama. What drives me is who I am in Christ. Follow that? Seek it out. Find out what he's doing. Then set your affection on that. What am I doing in my job? How am I doing as a role in the husband, as a wife, as my family members? Folks, we're talking about life. Christ is my life. We're not talking about up in the clouds going, ooh, one day we'll get up there. We're talking about right now in life and time. You're going to walk out and go have lunch. If I shut up, you'll go get lunch. You're going to sit down. You're going to order whatever. Right? What does it matter what you order? Well, maybe you got a doctor that says you can't have this. you got to have that. Folks, what, did the, what does he say? By the way, what does he say about food? If it's received with thanksgiving, enjoy it. He doesn't say anything. Be who you are in Christ. Seek, set. Verse 4 is where I was headed, by the way. When Christ, who is our life, he's our what? He's our life. I go down to the restaurant. They gave out uh, gift cards at work for uh, oregano's, which was the wrong place for me because that's a, that's, I like that place. <laughs> okay? So I told Linda, I said, we're going to go to oregano's. You're, she's off this week. We're going to oregano's for lunch. <laughs> All right? You know? So you, you go in. Food can become your what? It can become your best friend, your life. It can become everything, can it? But you need it to live, you need it to function, you need it to survive. I was re by the way, you guys see this Impossible Burger, the meat, the, the no beef burger? 
and all this stuff, the no meat, Burger King's got one. You haven't seen those where it's not beef, it's all plant-based and stuff. I was reading an article online about it. They, they did a, uh, a, a breakdown of what's in that beef. It's dog food. It's the same ingredients that's in dog food. <clears throat> Good luck. It's, it was really weird. The same ingredients in, in the burger you're eating at Burger King, pay, by the way, paying extra money to, to eat, is, is dog food. I was like, whoa, okay. Anyway, all right, so now we're done with lunch, right? Nobody's going to go to lunch. Colossians 3, verse 4. Verse number 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Folks, he's our life. Because notice that verse very carefully, verse 4. He's our life because what's going to happen when he appears we're going to appear with him in glory. He's our life because of the issues of resurrection. Come back to Romans 6. He, he's our life because God the Father said, back before the foundation of the world, this is what I'm going to do with this group of people that I'm going to call the church, the body of Christ. And I'm going to ingrain into their DNA some stuff that they can have, everybody wants to have a successful Christian life. I read the magazines, I understand everybody's pushing for a successful Christian life. And you know what, every one of them fails. Because, you know, well, they don't rightly divide the word, they run to other things. But you know why they fail? Because they put unrealistic expectations on that. They make it a law thing, a performance thing. Christ says, just live as who you are in me. Come to understand and to know who you are in me. Understand that I've been made to you. You got Romans 6? Look at 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. You got to read the verses, folks. I've, I've, I've caught myself just quoting them with you and stuff, and I, I need you to read them. Look at 1 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 30. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30. But of him... Are ye in Christ Jesus, who God, Christ Jesus, is made unto us. God the Father took Christ Jesus and he made him this way for you and you for him. Wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We've been made righteous, haven't we? Chapter 5, verse 21. We've been made. He's been made to you and I. God the Father says, learn that. Don't try to come out here and do something that you'll never be able to do successfully. If we had things to do in religious ceremonies and all that stuff, you'd never know you did it right. You know, you could think you're doing it right, but you would never know. You have to have someone else tell you you did it right, and usually I'm going to tell you you did it wrong. Right? Preacher, tell me, did I do it right? No, you didn't do it right. Because you didn't match my standard. Yeah, whoops is right. Romans 6. Christ, he's our life. He's everything. Romans 6. Look at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. 
How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's a wonderful question. That is a question struggled by every, every Christian, every believer, every grace believer out there. How do I deal with sin in my life? How do I deal with that thing that I just can't just seem to get over it? How do I, how, and now watch Paul answer the great question in verse 3. First word, no. Know ye not. There's some things for you to know. If you're going to say, for, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain and Christ is my life and I'm trying to live for him, there's some stuff that you are to know. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Baptism. That word in scripture is talking about identification. Okay? Usually when you read baptism, you go, water? <laughs> you know, it's real quick. And it's not. You and I are, are baptized by the Spirit into the body. We have a spiritual baptism. Ephesians 4, we read it a minute ago. One baptism. It's a spiritual baptism as we're being placed into the church, the body of Christ. But it's an issue of identification here. Notice that we're identified with his what? Death. Verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. So now we're identified with his what? Burial. See that? That, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Newness of what? Life. Life in Christ Jesus. His life being my life. Newness of coming along and because I have this code, death, burial, and resurrection. What did Colossians 3, 4 say? He's our life. When he shall appear, we shall appear with him in glory. Yeah. Hello. <coughs> resurrection brings in what? Life. Not death. Death, you know, when somebody's dead, they're not there. It's gone. It's a cessation of, of being, of being uh, associated and in contact with that environment. It's gone. But life says we're in it. Verse 5, for if we be planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his... When it, if we're in the likeness of his resurrection, how did he raise? <laughs> how did his resurrection... What does his resurrection look like? Up from the grave he arose. He got up. He walked out of the linen clothes. He let them laid there. He, sat, he stood up. He came right up out of them, and he went up right up out of that tomb. And the moment he left the tomb, he was declared to be the Son of God. And in that moment, when that tomb was empty, when those stones rolled back, and they come up and they say, He's not here. Why do you look for the dead among the living, the living among the dead? Why are you looking for the living, the, the, he's alive, he's not. The moment they said that, Paul says that before the foundation of the world was for you. He's your life. Life in Christ Jesus. The mechanics here, that happens the moment you trust Christ. It happens the moment you say, you know what, I need a Savior, there he is. 
and I want him. By the way, he wants you as well. Come over to Romans 8. His life. By the way, well, there in Romans 6, the, the sin question gets answered. Go back to Romans 6 just real quick. Verse 6. Knowing this, again, know some, th- some knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Know something here. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. It is destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. That's your status. Do you know why sin creeps up in your life and things get in and you go, man, I just wish I could deal with that? It's because you allow it. Because you're not thinking for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. You're thinking about you. Verse 8, watch the application. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, don't we? It's an affirmative, yes. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, so we see the correlation with Christ, right? We see what's happening with him. He died once, he lives now. He, died to, he, he took care of the sin problem, it did, he did it once, he ain't going to die no more. Likewise, reckon who? Ye. Also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus. You know what? You need to think about you the same way you think about him. Because your identity is in him. Come over to Romans 8. You see, folks, when we talk about Christ being our life, that spiritual DNA that he's written into there creates for you an an aspect, a, 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 I call it a relief, (laughs) Uh, a, a, a relaxation because now it's not, it's not I, it's him. And when I begin to take my mind and I begin to focus in on, you know what, what would Christ do sitting here watching the Alabama football game? Well, he would know the end before I would, <laughs> number one, <laughs> you know. But he would do what? What would he do? What would he do? Cheer for Alabama, okay, that's good. He'd sit there, maybe snack on a little snacks, like I did. Have a Coke, like I did. And watch. And enjoy. Probably root against LSU. And he should. You know, that's always, but you th- that's, think about that. What would he do at your Christmas family dinner table? What would he do? He would sit there with you, wouldn't he? He would eat. Why? Because, exactly right, he is there. <laughs> What's he doing? He's hanging out. He's enjoying your family traditions and so forth. He's there. The Godhead is there. See, that makes you begin to think a little bit about then what you're going to do, doesn't it? Do I pop the top off of XYZ and and enjoy the Bev, the adult beverages? It makes you think about that. It ought to. It's designed to. doesn't say you can't have it, but it slows you down, doesn't it? 
It should. Romans 8, verse number 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What a verse. The law, the thing that rules and governs. That's what a law is. Dictates. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the rule, the law, the governing of sin and death. The wages of sin is death. We've already read that in chapter 6, verse 23. What happens when I sin? Death is applied to the situation. It doesn't matter what it is. Death, corruption, destruction is what's going to come by. <clears throat> by the way, Romans 6, 23 is not a gospel witnessing verse. It's a walk verse. It's a, it's a Christian life verse. It's a verse that sits at the end where he's going to tell you that if you choose which master you're going to serve, you can't serve two masters. I want you to serve righteousness and serve who you are in Christ and do. But if you choose to serve sin and live as who you are in your own sinfulness, you're going to, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. It's life. <clears throat> Yeah, choose life. Why don't you? Galatians 2, verse number 20. You see, folks, what Satan missed is all of this, what we're talking about. is the life that Christ, when God breathed life into Adam, he missed it. He misses this part about you and I. Now, he understands that we've got it. Why? Because the book's been completed for a long time. <laughs> and he's able to do what? Study, read, understand. He's, he understands what God's doing. So you know what he's going to do to you? Make you not do and live as who you are in Christ. You with me? You got Galatians 2? Hang on to it. Flip back to 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. <clears throat> we'll talk about this some next week. Because Satan understands. Paul says we're not to be ignorant of his devices. We're to understand what's going on. We're to see it. We're to recognize it. We're to move with it. He says that in 2 Corinthians 2 over there. We're in association with the doctrine of forgiveness and stuff. We've talked about that. But what Satan will do, look at 2 Corinthians 11 verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. He's going to use men. He will use people who are going to have verses, but not dispensationally considered. So he's scriptural, but not dispensational. And he's going to come along, and he's going to feed people a line. It's called the doctrines of devils. He comes in and he feeds the course of the world. He feeds that lie program, Romans chapter 1, verse 25, where he says he took the truth of God and made it and turned it into a lie so you'll worship the creature more than the creator. We call it religion, organized religion. And he feeds it in there, and you know what he's doing? He's, on, he's putting an onslaught on the, D, the spiritual DNA of humanity, keeping them in darkness 
come over to you're in Corinthians, second uh, second Corinthians four. You're in second Corinthians, right? <clears throat> Not, by the way, folks, none of this is in any of what I was thinking about, <clears throat> but I think you get the point. Second Corinthians four. Look at verse three. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom of the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What, is the, what has the adversary done? He blinds the minds. How does he do it? Religion comes in. By the way, that blinding of their minds there, you look over in chapter 3, right across the page, look at verse 14, 314, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the what? The Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. You know, the blindness there is, is taking the Old Testament and making it for you and I today. Taking the law and saying that's what we're operating under and that's where we are. Being scriptural but not dispensational. See, isn't that, that's, man, that's sneaky, isn't it? He also changes the verses around and we'll talk about that next time. Folks, our life is where? In Christ. Why? Because that's how God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit designed it to be back before the foundation of the world. And when we trusted Him, He reaches down in and He engrafts into you and I this wonderful identity. Galatians 2 and verse 20. He grafts into you and I this wonderful identity of who we are in Christ. And he says, I did all of this to you. You didn't feel it. You didn't come out with the surgery scar. You didn't even wake up with a bad headache. I did it to you spiritually. And what you need to do is get into the book and study. You ever think about 2 Timothy 2.15? Study to show thyself approved of God. A workman, so guess what study is? It's work. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Wow. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You see, folks, all of this happened to you. You just got to get in that book and find out about it. That's why we come together. Let's find out about it. Galatians 2.20 I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, right here, right now, in time, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
When he says there, I live by the faith of the Son of God. The faith of the Son of God. All the new Bibles change that to faith in the Son of God. And that's wrong. Because what did Christ do? He came, he was born, he walks the earth, doesn't he? He learns, he grows. He says over there in John, he says, The words I speak, they're not my words, they're the Father's words. The actions I do, they're not my actions, they're his actions. Okay? When you see me, you see the Father. Over and over to the, to the little flock, to the nation of Israel, he's walking by in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, not my will. Father, if there's a way that this cup can pass, but not my will, but thy will be done. He says it over and over again. I can do nothing but what the Father has given to me to do. By the way, that's why the Father looked at him and said, I give you the power to take, and to, to take your life and to do, do those things. What was Christ doing? Everything that the word of his Father, what the word of God said for him to do, he was doing. And he did it in complete and total and absolute obedience. He never dropped the ball. So when Paul uses the term, the faith of the Son of God, you and I are to live in complete and total, absolute obedience to the Word of God to us. He did it. We have His life in us now. We have this identity in Him. So guess what we're to do? We're to walk the same way He did. So when you see the faith of Christ, what was the faith of Christ? What did He do? He obeyed every word that the Father gave him to do. When he healed the blind, when he raised the dead, when he did all of those things that Isaiah and the prophets said the Messiah was going to do, that is the word of the Father, that this is what Messiah is going to do, he did it absolutely, totally, completely, without fail. Everything. When he gets on that cross and he says it is finished, that's a big term, got a lot going on in there. He's done scrolled right down through the prophetic program. Everything said about him doing and what he was going to do, it was done. Now with the Apostle Paul on the scene, we understand that when he said it is finished, there was something else going on as well. But at that moment when he was on, on the earth, he lived in total and absolute dependence upon the word of the Father. He did it. So when Paul says the flesh, the, the, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm going to take the precepts of the word of God written to me and I'm going to come over here and I'm going to prayerfully apply them to the details of my life. That's what he's talking about. Will I fail? Well, yeah. Because I have a human frailty. He never failed. So guess where my acceptance is? In the beloved. My focus is in him now. And in him I'm without blemish. Within, in him I'm holy. <laughs> We're in Ephesians 1, the list. Come on Tuesday nights, we've been going through them, okay? You see, folks, everything about what we do and say and act and behave and is all predicated upon what does the book say? 
what does the word of God rightly divided say to me about this issue? Because it's not I, but Christ. And when the world sees you living as who you are in Christ, they see who? Christ. And then it redounds to his glory. And it redounds to him. That's what this is all about. Understanding all the different details and things is so that we can go out and live a life that's well-pleasing to him. You follow that? See what's going on? You see, this time of year we get with family and friends and we do different things and we have our traditions and that's all wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for it. I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I got your back. <laughs> but just don't forget what it's all about. For to me to live is Christ, and to die, oh, that's gain. I'm in a rock in a hard place. <laughs> the stay is needful, but the go is better, you know. He goes on down in there. Folks, it's not I, but Christ. If you keep that in the back of your mind as you're doing things on a daily basis, it will be quickly begin to, to adjust and correct your life. You may not win at every turn, but you'll begin to win most of the turns. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And Lord, I just thank you for the folks that will come out and to listen and to study and their desire to do that, their want to do that, to study your word, to see and have what you say for us to do and how to be. And I thank you for them, as I thank them for being here. And Lord, I just thank you for coming, dying at Calvary, and being all, being our all and in all. We'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. We're